continuing the 2010 candidate series by taking up a public service commission race. And public service commission races don't typically get a lot of attention uh, in Georgia, which is unfortunate considering the uh, regulatory power it has. But Bobby Baker, who has served on the public service commission since 1993, is retiring has, and he's leaving an open seat. So today I'm speaking with Jeff May, a member of the Georgia House of Representatives from the 111th District, and he's also a candidate for uh, the Public Service Commission. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Hey, no problem. Uh, so tell us about yourself. Okay. I uh, give you a little bit of background on me. I have uh, a wonderful wife and three small children that are ages, uh, I have a daughter that's 10 and sons that are eight and six. I grew up in Gord County up in North Georgia. and. Uh, had the, the honor of, of trying. We had three different high schools up there, and I was able to go to all three of them. And uh, for different reasons, I uh, after high school waited I don't know, a year and a half before I started going to college, and uh, actually drove a dump truck during the day and put myself through school at night. This was pre-hope, and, and and we didn't really qualify for anything else, and we didn't have any money, so I, that was the only way we could do it. I finished there and went to West Georgia and earned my uh, bachelor's degree in management, and then moved to. Atlanta. After that, I had a job working for Rollins Corporation in Atlanta. And ran the mainframe for them, and I did that for about three months, and then decided that it's a kind of ironic that the corporate world was not what I was cut out for. I couldn't, didn't hardly like wearing a suit and tie every day. Join the club. So, <laughs> join the club. <laughs> and uh, so I started. Uh, I went to one of these free seminars that uh, on buying and selling. I started buying and selling different equipment. I'm, bought and sold uh, everything from camos to lamps to computer equipment, which is what we do now. I started my company in March of 93, and I've been doing that for the last 17 years. And uh, yeah, I tell everybody it's nothing glamorous or special, but it's, it's it's in the computer business. We sell printers and printer parts, do a little IT consulting, and uh, pays the rent, pays the bills. But I've been doing that, and it's allowed me to you know, take care of my family. I uh, ran for office uh, and have been serving in the General Assembly for the last six years. And it's been an amazing, it's, it's an amazing process, the way the, the way the legislative process works. But uh, I have been elected by my peers to serve in the House leadership. I'm vice chairman of the caucus. Um, but I, I also chair the Energy Subcommittee of Energy, Utilities, and Telecommunications, which you know, gives me a pretty, a pretty decent background in the types of issues that the Public Service Commission deals with uh, on a daily basis. Most voters are probably unfamiliar with what the PSC does, so, so tell us what its purpose is. Okay, that's a good question. It does a couple different things, and it doesn't, in my mind, it doesn't have the regulatory capacity or power that it used to have. Currently, there are certain regulated industries, um, power industry being one of them, and uh, you know, in gas, natural gas, uh, that it regulates. But it has a couple other functions. This way. It regulates limousine service and uh, uh, motor coach, charter bus, things like that, which is. It's kind of interesting. It used to have more regulatory power over truck, the trucking industry, but that has kind of gone away. And a lot of the telecom uh, powers have, have, have kind of gone away with uh, the competition and the breakup of, of Ma Bell. And so there's uh, now currently, that as far as with telecom, the biggest thing that the Public Service Commission does is, is it's generally the arbiter between Bell and the independents. In, in finding a balance between the disputes that they have. Hmm. There have been a lot of four-to-one votes in, in favor of utility companies uh, over the last several years. Um, a lot of the, the, the one single vote, the lone vote against was Bobby Baker, who you're running to fill the seat left vacant by him. So how would you be an independent voice on the Public Service Commission? 
Well, and that, that's a good question. You know, Bobby Baker kind of surprised everybody when he decided the Monday of qualifying after 18 years he wasn't going to wasn't going to seek re-election. And then as soon as he announced that, a lot of people started calling me saying, "Jeff, you need to run for this and you do this." You know, I thought about it, and talked to my wife, and, and looked at uh, looked at it, and I decided, you know what? Okay, this is uh, this is the right thing for me to do right now. I can say this: I, in the general assembly will not and have not voted for a bill that I have not read. I think, and I wish a lot of more people in Washington would do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the thing that will allow me to be an independent voice is the fact that I actually read every single bill that we vote on. And because of that, I ask more questions than anyone in the General Assembly. And as far as experience and what I take to the Public Service Commission, I think anyone um, who has had to been on one side of the issue or another with me will say that I'm always very fair and I take both sides into consideration and listen to both sides of the argument and and generally somewhere in the middle is where the truth lies and for instance with um, you know the public service commission I understand the industry and the business side of it. I've been a, mm-hmm. a business owner for the last 17 years I know what it's like to make a payroll mm-hmm. I, but I also understand the consumer side and the small business aspect of it and from that respect, I know that somewhere in the middle there's a balance that will – there will be a balance for fair and reliable and affordable services for the people to, to have. And I think anyone who's, who's dealt with me in the past would say, even if we haven't disagreed, I've always been fair. And I think that's what you need in a public service commission because in that respect, we're the arbiter between the industry and the consumer. And you can only you – know, I understand that the, the – from the industry side, it has to be a viable business in- entity. They, you know, they employ a lot of people, and those people pay a lot of taxes, and it has to be sustainable since it is regulated by the government. They're only allowed to make a certain amount of profit. On the other end, you don't want to you know, take advantage of the consumer or the small businesses who are, you know, seven out of every ten new jobs in this state and in this country are created by small businesses and, and business owners like myself. Utility bills are a large percentage of our overhead, so. You don't want to be overbearing or overburdensome on those businesses. And you know, I grew up in Calhoun, up in North Georgia, and there are the carpet industry is huge up there. I mean, that's the entire economy up there. They are very large energy users, so and they employ a lot of people. And you want to make sure that they have the ability to continue to employ a lot of people. And you do that, you know, less government, lower taxes, personal responsibility, individual freedom, uh, with relation to utilities, you have to make sure that the utilities are affordable. Well, what, if anything, can you do or commissioners do to limit the financial burden on families and businesses of rising energy rates? Uh, that, that's a good question. The, the only thing that the commission can do is find a balance that's fair between the industry and the consumer. Something that, you know, these, these are kitchen table issues that people talk about you know, when, when in my family, we we set our budget, we figure out how much money we have to pay. I mean, we, you know, if we need to cut down on our energy or water or whatever, I mean, you know, we'll let's turn we'll turn the lights off. I mean, you know, you, you have to you have to make sure that families can pay their bills, and you do that through, you know, lower rates. And in, in Georgia, we have some of the lower lowest rates in the in the southeast. And I hope to, as public service commissioner, continue. To make sure that the rates stay low, so you know families can afford to pay their bills and not have their lights turned off or their gas turned off. Do you support prepayment of capital expenditures or financing of capital investment before that asset is up and running and providing a benefit to the ratepayers? I think, with regard to that, the there was um, people had 
you know, problems with prepaying for that. We're, they were referring to Senate, that, Bill, Senate Bill 31, which was the... Senate Bill 31, right. exactly, exactly. By prepaying for part of the debt, it will ultimately save the ratepayers hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, the, uh, I, I believe it was the ARP who was opposed to it because, um, obviously, senior citizens w may not fully be able to appreciate through the life expectancy of the reactors and the, and the recu recovery costs, they won't may not be able to fully appreciate the useful life of the new nuclear energy that's going to be created. But uh, on the other side, is, it's like you look at education. Everyone pays for education, and by spreading the cost over a broader base, it makes costs lower. And that's why, you know, I'm a big proponent of the fair tax. I, I don't like the income tax or, or property tax. There are certain things that I don't like because you, you're segmenting out one small and specific group to pay for something that, that everyone uses. I mean, with with property tax, a certain amount of people pay property tax, but everyone, even whether you uh, rent or own property, whatever, your kids still go to school. So I think everyone should share the burden evenly. Well, let me let me briefly. ask let me let me, let me ask because that that statement's. I mean, I don't mean to knock on you, but that statement sounds very very similar to what Barack Obama said to Joe the Joe the plumber. Talking about sharing the burden equally and spreading no, the wealth no, no, and all no. that. There's a, there's a big difference. Well, I, I we're talking about fiscally conservative people in the house. Oh, I'm just saying. I mean, but but we're talking about one billion dollars in advance profit. This is for a, a government protected monopoly. Don't you think that's a little unfair to ratepayers? Well, it's I. I wouldn't say that it's a government protected monopoly. It's a government regulated monopoly. Now, if when the the discussion of whether there should be um, choice. And competition in energy—that's a whole other argument. Until, if and when we make the switch to a more competitive model, you know, I'm I'm all, I'm all for competition. That's what, you know, with with phone service, for instance, the cost of phone service has gone down significantly because there is now competition where there wasn't before when it was regulated. But with uh, you know, Georgia Power, for instance, they're only allowed by the government to make 10% profit pro or what you know, 10 point. Whatever the exact percentage like 11%, is, 10 .7, 10 11 point, yeah, eleven percent, um, something like that. Yeah, that's that's in good times and in bad. You know, when back during the you know the dot com boom, when companies were making a lot of companies were making incredible amounts of profit, they were still only allowed to make ten percent. And then, but the other side of that is when things are down, they're still allowed to make their ten percent of profit. So, I mean, it should government get get out of the process, and that's. That's a different argument altogether. Until government does get out of the way, they're only allowed to earn a certain amount of, of profit. Now, what we need to do is make sure that we keep costs low uh, as much as possible, so it's not overburdensome on the on the consumer. Uh, if the EPA establishes rules and/or an energy bill passes the Congress uh, that would impact the cost of power generated from coal, which Georgia relies on, uh, what can the PSC do to help mitigate increased costs to Georgia's businesses or families? Yeah, that's 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 a good question. That's the because that's the cap and trade bill. That's a that's that's a yeah, that's it, it, that, that right will now. cost the average family for, to start about three thousand dollars a year in energy costs. And we have in the United States, we are the Saudi Arabia of coal, the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. You know, I'm in the House co-sponsored uh, legislation that we sent to Washington to help allow us to be included in the five-year offshore exploration plan. I think that if we have the natural resources available in this country. We need to use those, and you know, 
if we're not, we at least need to know that they're out there. We send $700 billion a year, every year, to a bunch of people in the Middle East who don't necessarily like us very much, when that's money that we should be using, keeping here at home, to invest in infrastructure. I mean, you think of the jobs that $700 billion a year would add to our economy, the Georgia economy, the United States economy, and I mean, it's crazy. I don't know why we are unwilling to use the natural resources that we have. I mean, coal makes up over 60% of the energy used in Georgia. It is not in until we have the next, you know, next uh, energy product. You know, whether it's LNG or CNG, whatever that that may be, we still have to use what we have. And when you limit the usage of that, I mean, we have we live in the greatest country in the history of the world. We have the we are in the live in the most technologically advanced society ever. You know, I have to think that we can do things that protect the or that protect the environment, but still allow us to utilize the natural resources that we have until we develop the next generation of energy production, whether it's, you know, again, CNG or LNG. We have to put the infrastructure, I'm all for using natural gas, but we have to put the infrastructure and the pipes in the ground for the deliveries, the delivery mechanism of the product. Let you me, know, let me until, ask you, let me ask you, go, go ahead, Wait, finish, your, finish your thought. Well, until we have that in place, we have to use what we have. Now, that's good, you know, that will, again, re- require investment, but if we're sending $700 billion a year to the Middle East and countries around the world that aren't necessarily very fond of us, if we spent that money here, we could put the pipes in the ground and develop the infrastructure to make, uh, to, you know, to take us off the grid and make us more energy independent. Let me ask you what you think about the uh, the crisis we're seeing in the Gulf of Mexico right now. We're on, what, day 46 or 47 of, of an oil spill of the Deepwater Horizon uh, 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 drilling platform. Uh, let me ask you, I mean, I personally, even even after this, I still support offshore drilling. I, th- I mean, I think these, these types of accidents are few and far between. Uh, do you support, would you support, I, I don't know if this would fall under the Public, uh, Public Service Commission's uh, you know, kind of area of regulation. I would assume it does, since it deals with power companies. Uh, but would you support drilling offshore in Georgia? If, if I could drill an oil well in my backyard and get oil out of it, <laughs> I'd do it tomorrow. You know, we in, in the Gulf, for instance, we have drilled t- literally ten thousand wells in the Gulf of Mexico. We have a problem with one. Right. That's not bad. Right. You know, I mean, and, and you could argue that extreme environmentalism has helped facilitate the problem. And we, we push these rigs so far offshore, you're literally drilling a mile down. Mm-hmm. You know, it, when a well is, is 200 feet deep, you can get to it to cap it. But when it's a mile down, the uh, the pressure from the water and the temperature of the water, you, it, it's much more difficult to deal with a problem like this when you have pushed yourself that far offshore. So they, it's, it's almost as if they've hurt themselves in trying to you know, support what they believe is right. Now, you know, I think we should do everything we can to help protect the environment, but it sure. has to be reasonable. Sure, sure. Um, do you support the ex parte rule of banning off-the-record conversations? I think that, and, and that's a good question. That's a good question. I know there was a big, you know, debate and argument over, you know, what you should do and who, who you should talk to. In the General Assembly, you know, we have go to um, dinners and have groups of people that, in talk about legislation over dinner or, or whatever, or in meetings for lunch, breakfast, or whatever. Should a lawyer be present all the time? That's a good question. I, I'm, I'm sure that uh, people felt that there was a problem that necessitated the development of that rule. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I'm the kind of person that I believe that any any conversation that you have is on the record, and I mean, you shouldn't <laughs> you sh- don't say things that you don't want. I mean, you don't want other people to hear. So, sure. I, you know, it's it, it. I mean, it's it stirred up a bit of controversy a while back. Uh, you know, I don't know. When we talked to in the general assembly, you know, we have uh, a limited limited budget and limited staff people, and a lot of times we count on people that are in the industries to tell us about the issues or to inform the, the legislators about the issues. And a, a good lobbyist, for instance, will tell you both sides of the issue. And the first time that person doesn't tell you both sides of the issue, you you mark that person off your list and you never talk to him again. <laughs> Well, I wish that was the case with most lobbyists because I got a feeling that most lobbyists are probably that way. I'm going to get hate mail. I'm going to get hate mail now for saying that. Uh, do you support the current state law that says the chairman uh, of the PSC must rotate annually, which affords every commissioner an opportunity to serve in this role? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that it's a good idea to have people with more than one person with experience in doing a job. That way. If you know if something were to happen to one of the members, as the election cycles, you you haven't you're not left with people who don't know the responsibilities, or or don't have the ability to serve in that capacity. Okay. Uh, and do you support a gift ban? Uh, do you think it's acceptable for commissioners to accept gifts, gratuities, travel from those representing regulated entity, entities? And, and the reason I ask this is because I've heard of certain commissioners walking out of. Um, walking out of meetings and looking around saying, where's a lobbyist? I want lunch. <laughs> well, I think that's indicative of the mentality, and I'm not, not trying to insult you as a lawmaker. I'm just saying of some of our lawmakers. Not Certainly not all. And, and again, I don't mean to, to lump anyone into, uh, into that. I'm not lumping you into that. I'm just simply saying that that seems to be the perception from the public. Some, some people do take advantage of it. I think the majority of the people are are reasonable. Um, you know, a lot of times if someone wants to buy you breakfast or take you to lunch, it allows you to, the opportunity to get to know someone that you're going to be working with throughout your you know, tenure in the legislature. Should there be a complete ban? I think, you know, a reasonable ban is okay. Is is, is that $5 for a cup? You can only buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks for five, you know, five yeah, bucks right, or more. Right. So what what is the reasonable number? You know, we passed ethics legislation. We actually passed two uh, ethics bills in the last four years in the House that, that kind of tightens up on some of that. Now, I'll be the first to say it's not perfect, uh, but it is at least steps in the right direction. I mean, said when the Republicans took control six years ago, um, on the other side of the issue, the Democrats had had control of the General Assembly for the last you know, 150 years or however many years it was and had never passed any type of ethics reform whatsoever so and we've done in the last four years we've done two different bills you know that and again may not necessarily be perfect but at least there's steps in the right direction I, I don't have a problem with reasonable reasonable limits on that uh, thank you so much for your time let me let me do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with listeners uh, you know I, I think that there are you know good candidates in this race and you know, I, I would like for the the problem with the difficulties or the challenges for us is, you know, we've had when when uh, Bobby Baker announced the Monday of qualifying that he wasn't running for re-election, you know, that allowed us at that time about 80 days, of which there are 43 days now left, and it's difficult, it's challenging to run a statewide campaign and get in front of 10 million people in that short amount of time. Normally, you'd have 12 to 18 months. I guess it's it's sort of a mixed blessing. What I would would encourage everyone to do 
is look at the records of the candidates that are in the race. You know, and, and I know in I live in the seventh congressional district, and there are on the Republican ballot there are eight gubernatorial candidates. There are ten in my congressional race. There are nine for insurance commissioner. You literally will see fifty different candidates before you get to public service commission. The most educated voter, you, there's no way for them to remember everything about all those people, and they can do as much research as possible. I would encourage people to. You know, go to the websites, which I'm having some difficulties with mine right now, we talked about earlier, uh, but go to the websites, go to the Facebook pages, and find out about the people that are running. It, I feel certain that if people will give each candidate fair consideration in this public service commission race, I am the most qualified person to do the job. I you know, have the business experience. Uh, I've been involved with the committee. I've passed you know, four significant pieces of energy legislation that have helped Georgians and you know, I think that's important when dealing with the issues that we deal with. I'm you know, again, I read every single bill that we vote on, and my, my wife gives me a hard time because I the one thing I've got from the General Assembly is a pair of glasses because I read every <laughs> bill and I ask all the questions. But I think that's important. You know, with the Public Service Commission, you don't get a second chance to get it right. A lot of times, we'll pass legislation and have to come back next year to fix it. Right. On the Public Service Commission, you don't have that opportunity. If you make a mistake, you have just affected 10 million people and every single job creator in this state. So I think my ability to you know, cipher through the, the legalese and you know, make sure that the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed also helps make me the best qualified candidate to serve in the Public Service Commission. I would appreciate everyone's vote and consideration. Uh, where can we find you on the web, speaking of websites? Okay, uh, thank you for asking. It's, it's uh, www.jeffmayforpsc.com, or the, the Facebook is Jeff May for Public Service Commission. And you're on Twitter. And I ask everybody remember, May and July for PSC. That's all we can ask. You're on Twitter, right? Yes, yes. May and July for PSC is our uh, Twitter address. Okay. That's, uh, guys, July 20th is the Republican primary. Early voting started today, which is Monday. Uh, you're hearing this on Tuesday, so it started yesterday. Uh, so uh, contact your local county registrar. Find out when you can vote in the party primaries. Uh, and, and, Jeff, again, thank you very much for your time, and, uh, and best of luck to you. Thank you for having me. I sincerely appreciate it.